indoctrinated into how to think, how to act, and how to feel, correct? I mean, we get our information from our TV shows, we get our information from our peers, we get a lot of information, and we're indoctrinated and we have learned behavior. So what Jesus tells us and what the understanding has to be as a Christian, this is really one of the biggest, this is a huge pivot point for us in our lives and it's a huge pivot point into the way that God has designed it is to understand that we are in a culture, but we are not of a culture. We are of an entirely different culture. And so we are called to live according to a different line of thinking. We're called to live according to a different manner and we're to unlearn the things that we've learned. Anybody know what I'm talking about? A lot of the things that we've learned, a lot of our attitudes and actions are in conflict with the, what, the, what the Bible says. And so what we have to do is unlearn behaviors and relearn the behaviors of the kingdom. And so one of those ideas is, is uh, identity. And so what we've been talking about with kingdom culture is understanding what his world is like. How does heaven operate? What does heaven do? What is, how does heaven see? All of these things like that. And how do we integrate that into our life? Because we're to be the light of the world, are we not? Is this true? Is this true? We're to, be, we're to reflect something different than everybody else around us. That's not a poem. That's a reality. We're to be a city on a hill. We're to be a group of people and a, a, a group of people and individuals and collectively. We're to be somebody and something that the world is to look to as a guide, right? As a navigating point. That's something that they would use cities for is cities would be points of references. And we are a city on a hill. We are the light of the world. And the way we reflect the kingdom or whether we, 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 we fulfill that is by living according to how heaven has designed. This is really important. And so identity is how heaven works. Jesus is not relating to you as to who you were. He's relating to you as to who you are. There's a verse in Jeremiah, and this is a pretty big verse. It's, it, the Bible speaks a prophetic language. So while it's speaking history, it's speaking uh, principles, it's speaking in a, a bunch of different layers, one of the languages is the, that the Bible is speaking is it's speaking in a prophetic language as well. And so if we understand this verse prophetically, it's talking about a nation called Moab. And he's reflecting something about these people that were Moabites. In other words, they lived on the borders of Israel. They lived around the people of God. They literally lived around the presence of God, but never entered into it. Hello. So Moab has been at ease in there since his youth. He has settled on his dregs or his lees. It's, it's using a, a wine fermenting term. And has not emptied himself from vessel to vessel, nor has he gone into captivity. What that's actually saying is nothing has ever captivated his attention. Therefore, his taste remains and his sin is unchanged. So the Bible is giving us a principle here for transformation. Anybody want transformation? Anybody want to be someone or something that you've never been before? Anybody sick and tired of being sick and tired and want to press into something that's greater? Hello. What the Bible's telling us here is that this, these people were lazy. They had been given things, they'd been given opportunity, but they never did anything with what they were given. They rested on their leaves. They never gave out what they had received. And so what the Bible is saying here is that they've never emptied themselves from vessel to vessel. So the principle, one of the principles of transformation is A, don't be lazy. Everybody say that with me. Don't be lazy. Okay? And the second one is give out what I've received. And so here we have these people that had never, they had just received and received and received and received. And so often what happens as Christians is we just become sermon consumers or sermon raters. And so we go to the church and we just rate the sermon. 
You know, that was a nine, you know, 9.5. You know, we hold up our scorecard. That was a two, Pastor. Get it together next week. Okay, I need you to, you know, work on this a little more. And, and what we do is we hear the word, but we never apply the word. We don't empty ourselves from vessel to vessel. We never do anything with what it is that we're taught. And so there remains the scent is the same. That's why Christians are never transformed. That's why Christians never enter in into the promises of new life, because it requires work. It requires you going against the grain of everything around you. It requires you going against the grain of even your emotions themselves. The spirit and the emotions are two different worlds, okay? We were just talking about it in first service and how the enemy attacks us. He makes us dance in the realm of our emotions. God calls you to live by truth into the spirit. And anytime you start pressing into truth and into the spirit, the enemy will war against you. Where will he war against you? In the realm of your emotions. He understands how people are. He understands how people respond. And so even when you begin to pray or begin to declare or begin to step out, the emotions tend to work against you while you're doing it. And the deception is, is because I'm feeling a different way other than what I'm praying, it must be that God doesn't want me to pray. That's completely the opposite. You're praying and the enemy is pushing on your emotions or causing a negative response with you emotionally because he wants you to stop doing what you're doing. And so we have to become masters of our emotions. The spirit and the soul. We have the spirit, which is the pneuma. It's the true you. It's what makes you you. We all have bodies and we all have souls. But the uniqueness of every person is their spirit. The soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. We all have a mind, we all have a will, and we all have emotions. That's the arena of the soul. The enemy attacks you in the arena of the soul. You've got to understand that your mind, will, and emotions are not necessarily in direct relationship to your spirit. We follow the spirit and we submit our mind, we submit our emotions, and we submit our will unto the spirit. So when the enemy is trying to pull you off course by, by, by a lack of understanding... I pray for people sometimes, and we're going into certain arenas. As soon as I start praying, I can feel the press back against me. When I was younger as a Christian, I used to think, well, maybe God doesn't want me to pray that. Maybe the Holy Spirit's telling me not to pray that. Well, I wised up. It was because what we were praying into was directly related to a stronghold that the enemy had over that person's life. And so there was spiritual opposition into the prayer that I was making, or spiritual opposition into the arena that we were addressing. Does that make sense to you? All right? I feel like I'm supposed to say this. So this is all for somebody. I don't know who this is for. 1130 is always unique to me because it's always like, I hear the Lord, I'm like, I'm trying to do this. He's like, don't say that. I'm like, all right, I'll say that. All right, so I'm trying to make this a condensed version. Say this with me. Breakthrough must have follow through. You break through. God gives you victory in an area. Okay, we gain ground. The enemy will always return to contest the ground. Can I get a witness? That's right. We break through, we take ground. The enemy will return to try to contest the ground. Well, what's going on there? What God is doing is solidifying you in your identity. He's solidifying you in your belief and your understanding that what he's given you, he's not taking away. And we're called to fight against it. And here again is the deception. God gives us breakthrough. The enemy come, returns and contests the ground. And we go, oh, God must have taken it away from me. Do you see the deception? Do you see the lie? It's complete lies. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, in whom there is no shadow of turning, which means what God gives, he doesn't take it away. Understand? And so the enemy comes to contest the ground. So breakthrough must have follow-through. And the follow-through of the breakthrough is you knowing who you are and you learning to stand your ground. 
The Lord will give you the breakthrough, but you have to learn to stand your ground. And you have to learn to stand your ground through understanding your identity. You have to know who you are. Most people live according to false identities. Most people live according to aliases. Aliasly known as. Heaven is not relating to you on who you were. Heaven is relating to you on who you are. Okay? Transformation comes into pressing into something that we've never done before. Transformation comes by not being spiritually lazy. Transformation comes by giving out what we've received, even if you don't know what you're doing. Okay? Everybody say this with me. It's okay if I don't know what I'm doing. The power is in the effort. The way Christianity works is it's learned by doing. It's an activator style of, of, of ministry. He gives you ideas, he shows you concepts, but we don't really fully understand until we start doing. We start pressing into these things and start living out these things and we start figuring it out as we go. That's just how Jesus chooses to operate. And I think it's because he's designed it to be a partnership. If you knew what you were doing, you wouldn't need him. It's a partnership. No, not your right foot, Kevin, your foot left, okay, okay, like this, okay, okay, yeah. If you even looked how he did with the children of Israel, it was a constant evaluation. He would send them out and tell them to go do things. He'd give them some generic terms, and then he'd back them up and evaluate. Now, what do we think we did wrong here, Joshua? Oh, yes, we, that, was, that would be, you know, it was a constant evaluation and a constant understanding to, so that the, the people of God would learn by doing. Everybody say that. I learn by doing. If I will not do, I will not have, and I will not become. Christianity is not a spectator sport. It is not. I mean, it's as if God couldn't get it any clearer. We have the four Gospels, which is the message of the church, followed by the book of sitting. Is that the, is that the fifth book of the Bible? Is it the book of sitting? What's it called? Acts. What does that mean? It's the book of action. It's the book of here's the message, now do something with it. That's how the Bible flows. Here's the message, you do something with it. Not a spectator sport. We take the message and we do with the message, some, we do something with it. Heaven's not interested in who you are, or who you were. Heaven's interested in who you are. Most Christians relate, and one of the ways we treat the believer is we relate to them based on their past according to their present. Where you're, you were a sinner, and now you're saved by grace. God really, while that's true, heaven is no longer relating to you out of a sin context. Heaven is relating to you out of an identity context. And so heaven is not going past present or present past. Heaven is going present future. That's the only way God is relating to you. He is relating to you only in the now, directed into the future. Identity. So heaven is not sin conscious. Let me just say that out there. Okay, I'm going to let this out because we're going to come right up. Some of you guys have been taught that all God's caring about is all about sin and all this other stuff. While there's an aspect of that which I'm not going to get into, heaven's eyes in relationship to the Christian, he is not, say it with me, heaven is not sin conscious when it comes to the believer. Heaven is identity conscious. He is not dealing with you in relationship to your sin. We're just going to let that, some of you are going to like, your mind's going to brand. It's like, here, here it is. Morpheus is giving you the red pill. Come down the rabbit hole. 
Come on down the rabbit hole. Let's go. Free your mind. Unhook from the system and free your mind. See the world as it is. Heaven is not relating to you according to your sin. I said it last service at the end of the service. Was Jesus judged enough for sin? Yes or no? Yes. So if Christ has judged all sin in the life of the believer, the Father is no longer conscious of the sin in the life of the believer. And so he is not relating to you according to your sin. He's relating to you according to your identity. You don't have a sin problem. You have an identity problem. You do not know who you are. Therefore, you are behaving as though you are not. Identity solves everything. It solves the problem. The issue is who told you that? I was talking to a guy this week. He's like, I'm a drug addict. I'm who told you that? No, let's be serious. Who told you you were a drug addict? My Bible doesn't say that about you. My heavenly father doesn't say that about you. Who, is you, are, you are you saying that about you? Did your teacher, did your mom, did your society, culture, are they the ones calling you that? Because your father doesn't call you that. The guy's a Christian. He said, I'm just, I just struggle with drugs. I'm, I have, I'm a drug addict. I'm like, who told you that? That's not your identity. That's not who you are. We live by aliases. As a man thinks in his heart, so you shall be. You see yourself in light of that. That is what you shall be. We must begin to see and understand who we are as heaven sees us. If you see yourself as a screw-up, what do you think you're going to be? Huh? You see yourself as a failure? We have, if you want to talk about a spirit of confusion, you guys want to, any intercessors in the room, take authority over the spirit of confusion in the land. Demonic force is always preceded or accompanied with confusion. You don't think we got confusion in our land? We got confusion on every level. We, don't, we got gender confusion. We got sexual confusion. We got, I don't know who I am, what I am, what I'm supposed to be. It is all answered by identity. Well, I'm a man and I think I was a girl. Bruce Jenner. Who told you that? Who told you that? God did not say that. My Bible says you were fearfully and wonderfully made. He made them male and female. He was not confused. You understand? You're projecting even your identity based upon what a culture is saying. Even our definition of manhood is not the definition of manhood found in the scriptures. Oh, let's come right up into the living room. The men in the Bible were the ones that designed the temple. They did the embroidery. They designed the clothes. All of that was the men. Our Western definition is, is if you do that, well, you must not be a man. You must be a girl man. You must be that. You must be this. That's our Western definition. Our cultural definition is, is that if you're faithful and loyal to one wife and you don't have an affair or you don't have other women on the side, you must not be a man. What's wrong with you? Look at all the women in the world. It's culturally normal to have adultery because that's the definition of manhood in our society. Who told you that? That is not what God says. So even if you understand the definition of even manhood or womanhood from the context of the scripture, it's completely different than the way the society projects it. Do you see how identity really, really matters? This really matters. The Christian of all people, we should know who we are. 
We need to know who we are. We need to know who our Father is. We need to know who we are. And we need to know our mission and mandate in the world. We should not be confused. He's not given you a spirit of confusion. There should be no confusion among the Christian. We are kingdom culture people. We are not world culture people. We do not think, act, believe, or speak the same way. We align ourselves in the will of our Father. The Christian operates from a submitted will, not a selfish will. I'm just going to let that one marinate. Say it with me. I operate from a submitted will, not a selfish will. What does that mean? Not my will. It's not what I think. It's not what I feel. It's not what I believe. It's what he says. You understand that? It is irrelevant what anybody else says. He is the highest authority. And as Christians, we are not under the dominion of an earthly government. You are under the dominion of a heavenly government. Your life is symbiotically bound to your submission to that heavenly government. In other words, the river and the blessing flows as you yield to the government of heaven. You're bound to that government, Christian. So that's why God, Jesus said to Paul, it's hard to kick against the goads, isn't it? You're kicking against the very thing that's intended to bless you. You're kicking against the very thing that's supposed to open up your life. We fight against it because, well, we think, we know, we feel more than Jesus knows. We got to know who we are. We'll solve your problems. It really will. When you know that you're a son or a daughter of God and you are loved of your father, you see yourself in that light and you begin to live according to that purpose. Is this how a son of God would leave? So we're going to keep going. Next slide, please. Anybody get anything out of this? It's a little wilder and random than the first service, but I, you know. So here's the idea of Romans. I'm not going to read all of it, but you can see it's in Romans 6. I get, I get these really, I'm like, I get these really inspired moments. I'm like, I'm going to just, I'm going to break down a chapter. And then I realize, oh my gosh, I don't have time to break down. I have these wonderful moments, these epiphanies. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to take Romans 6 and just pull it down. You know, I know. What it's talking about is, is, do you not know? Here again. Don't you know, he's talking to this church, don't you understand that you are no longer alive? Don't you know? You no longer live. Christ lives in you. You are not who you were. You are who you are and who you are becoming. Nothing else matters. Nothing else. You saw I screwed up walking in the door. Oh, well. It's a new moment, isn't it? It's a new day, isn't it? It's moment forward. That's, that's, that is the glory of the gospel. One of the glories. We are united together in the likeness of his death. In other words, we died with Jesus, therefore we're risen with him. That's the context of this verse. For the death that he died, he died to sin for all of us. In other words, Jesus has completely dealt with sin. So that now the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, we reckon ourselves to be dead. So we're dead. We no longer live. No more aliases. No longer what anybody else says. Some of you need to come to a neutral place. Some of you need to make a list this morning and make a list of anything and everything everybody's ever said about you. Any labels that have ever been attached to you. Come on. Help me out. Yeah. You need to make a list. Stupid. Unworthy. Unloved weak, you know? Well, I feel the Spirit of God on me, man. Woo! Your Father, you are made in His image and likeness. You're born again according to His Spirit. 
He's tired of people living according to aliases. All of creation is groaning, waiting for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. The world itself is waiting for the Christian to understand who they are. It's waiting. The Bible actually says that the, that the creation itself is under subjection and bondage, in futility. So in other words, the whole world is futile. Anything and everything you do in this life is futile. That's a fact, unless it's for Christ. But it says it will be delivered into liberty of the sons and daughters of God. So what does that mean? Freedom will explode into creation itself when the sons and daughters of God begin to understand who they are and begin to live accordingly. The literally, the world itself will change. The world itself will change. What has been futile and what has been in bondage will become liberated. Is that a poem or is that a promise? I would dare say that's a promise. And we have to press in and understand what this means. So it says, okay, so if you're dead, then stop letting, let, letting sin, letting false identities, letting aliases rule you. Stop being ruled by your aliases. Some of you, you've had such wicked pronouncements made over you. And you need to just write them down and you need to directly deny them and cut them off and say, I am no longer this. And then you need to find a list of promises and you can easily find them. Who are you in Christ? And just begin to write them down. And I'm going to give you a few of them. And you need to make those declarations over your life and you need to begin to see yourself in no other light. You have to refuse to see yourself in no other light. I said it last week. No one will fight for your identity except you. Nobody's fighting for your identity except you. Your neighbor's not going to fight for your identity. Nobody's going to. You have to fight for your identity. Heaven has proclaimed your identity, and you've got to fight for it. You've got to maintain it. You've got, to un you've got to drill it down and drive a stake. This is who I am. Do not present yourself as members of sin, but present yourselves as members of righteousness. You don't present yourself into that. Present yourself into this. This is who I am. It begins with a mindset. So I'll just summarize it all. It's a mindset. Do you not know? So there's some understanding that we've got to drill into our head. There's an intentionality that has to happen in our thinking. You have to intentionally do this. It's not going to happen by default. You know what, what is your nature? Is your nature to self-condemn? Aren't you more self Aren't you hard on yourselves? Anybody know anybody here? Your nature is not to encourage yourself. It really isn't. Uh-uh. Your nature is to be hard on yourself and to see yourself in negative lights. So what we have to do is we have to have an intentional mindset of, that's contrary to what we're trained to think, to think accordingly. You understand that? The Bible says David encouraged himself where? In the Lord. So we have to learn to encourage ourselves in who we are in Christ. So it's a mindset. We've got to get this in our heads and we've got to begin to think according to this plan. And then it's an intentional lifestyle. It's no longer presenting yourself in this way. It's presenting yourself this way. As you see, think, and feel, and believe, so you will be. So if you want to be something different, you better think, believe, and see yourself differently, or you will never be. You will never be. As a man, again, thinks in his heart, so they are. As you believe in your heart, so you are. It doesn't matter what heaven says to you unless you agree with it. It doesn't matter what heaven says about you unless you align with it. And here again, it's this whole idea of emotion. Well, I don't feel. It's not about feeling. It's, it's about truth. And somewhere along the line, we've got to accept the fact that either we're going to believe this stuff is truth or we're going to live a life according to the emotions. If we live a life according to the emotions, we're unstable as water. Unstable as water. So Simeon, the Bible, the, the prophetic word over Simeon was he's unstable as water because he acted out of emotion all the time. He was rash. 
And everything he did was out of emotion. And the, the father, his father pronounced over him, you're unstable like water. We cannot be that. We have to be this. We're rocks, right? Man, somebody's getting something out of here. I don't know. I'm, I'm saying some like random stuff here. I'm like, well, that was good. Where'd that come from? Next slide. So <laughs> Say it with me. It's a mindset. It's an intentional lifestyle. I will not be spiritually lazy. No, you will not. That's what Sunday's for. High karate. Get your head on straight. Know who you are. Wake up, Christian. Who are we? And so here again, this is the great eater. I'm going to tell you something about Jesus. There ain't nobody like Jesus. Nobody loves you like he does. Nobody has your best interest at heart like he does. He has your best interest at heart above you. You think you got a good plan? Your plan is insurmountable to what he has for you. Exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. That's, that's his plan for you. It's always about upgrades. It's all, say it with me, it's always about upgrades. That's why we call this church Elevate. Because Jesus wants to elevate you from where you are to who you're called to be. Say this with me He will elevate me according to my understanding. If I want an upgrade, I must upgrade. My understanding. That's right. You want an upgrade? You want to upgrade your understanding. So the way we understand the church is we teach churches. We have upgrade. We have scales of Christians in all these different spectrums. We say, well, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I would call that remedial math. Okay, one plus one equals two. Duh. Okay. But people live there. That's how they relate to God. That's how they see themselves. Constantly in the light of, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Well, my Bible says you're saved to the uttermost. So what does that mean? You're uttermost past the sin. While that's a significant understanding and I'm not taking anything from it, I want you to understand that is a base level understanding. That is primary. God has not called you to live at the place of I'm a sinner saved by grace. So then where do we go from here? Well, then we go into this idea of where we're like, well, I'm a servant of God. These are, the, these are the upgrading, upgrading levels of relationship. I'm a servant. Okay, I'm a, I'm a sinner. I'm saved by grace. True. I'm a servant. I will forever be a servant. I understand that. But that, again, is not the level that God has called his people to live at. Then we go into friends. Well, I'm a friend of God. Woo, I'm a friend of God. Me and Jesus, we're just buddies. We hang out. He knows me. I know him. All this other stuff. Again, that is a truth. But that is not the level that he has called you to live at. Anybody know the level he's called us to live at? If you've been here a while, you're going to hear, you should know this by now. It's right there. What's he called you to live at? Sons and daughters. That is the high calling of the believer. That's the high calling. And we live according to our feeling and we live according to our emotion. Well, I feel I'm just nothing more than a sinner saved by grace. And that's the level we live at. Or I feel like I'm a servant of God and everything's just about, you know, I just got to do everything for Jesus and just serve him. Okay, well, that's the level you live at. When you understand that you are a son and daughter, you understand you've been adopted. You understand you're a servant. You understand that you have access, as a friend would have access. But you understand that you have a high calling. You have a privilege. And you have a promise over your life that not everybody gets. You have an access into things that not everybody has. The bread is for who? Who's the bread for? What did Jesus say? The bread's for who? Come on. Does anybody know their Bible in here? Come on. This is, we should do better on this quiz. The bread is for the? That's right. 
The bread is for the children. Are we children of God? So who's the Father's bread for? That's right. That's right. All right, so here it is. As many as received him, them he gave the right to become the children of God. Not every person on the planet is God's child. Oh, we're all children of God, not according to the Bible. We're all God's creation. The only sons and daughters are those who have given their life to, G to, to the Father through Jesus Christ. That's it. Only to those who have received Christ have the privilege, the right, the power, the ability to be called children of God. No one else has that ability. Aren't you special? You feeling special now? You should, because you are. You're not ordinary. In Christ, you're extraordinary. He maximizes. Without him, you are minimized. In him, you are maximized. Nobody loves you like he does. He, you were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, but of the will of God. We're sons and daughters through Christ. We have the power and the ability. Ephesians, we have a predetermined destiny. That's what predestination means. We create this huge theological conundrum out of this word predestination. And we twist it and we turn it and we manipulate it and we bring mass confusion upon the church. It's a simple understanding. In the Greek, it means a predetermined destiny. That's all it means. You know, anybody have you ever known, been confused by the doctrine of predestination that's been whipped around, particularly in reform-oriented churches, it's a complete conundrum that just leads to all kinds of crazy stuff. It's very simple. You have a predetermined destiny from your heavenly father. You have a destiny. Your destiny is activated only by your understanding as a son and daughter. Predetermined destiny to adoptions as sons and daughters under Christ himself, according to his pleasure, for the praise and the glory of grace which he made us in the beloved. Your predetermined destiny is directly related and activated by you understanding yourself as sons and daughters. Destiny does not come into the life of the believer until they begin to capture and live out and understand and position themselves with the place of knowing that they are sons and daughters. The predetermined destiny is directly related to that understanding. So as a believer, if you want destiny, destiny's door is on the understanding of son and daughtership. That's how destiny is activated. Your determined destiny is not as a servant. Your determined destiny is not as a slave. Your determined destiny is not as a friend. Your determined destiny is as a son and daughter. So the son and daughter ideal is the, is the key to unlocking and opening and granting access into destiny. You've got to see yourself like this. I'm a son of God. What does that mean? I am a son of the highest. We're going to get deeper on this. You're divine royalty. Come on. I didn't say you feel like it. I just want you to see yourselves in royal robes, whatever that looks like. Okay? I am divine royalty. You ever seen pictures of kings, like royal kings, and how they, have, they sit on their thrones, and they got their wife, and then they got all their children around them? I want you to see yourself in that atmosphere with your heavenly Father, because that's who you are. That's who you will be eternally. Jesus is coming with his fullness of his dominion, and his sons and daughters will rule in context of that dominion upon the earth. You will rule and reign with him. We think we're going to be in heaven just strumming harps and floating on. You will be ruling and reigning with him according to the disciplined understanding that you have in this life, will it be apportioned to you? Yeah. Yeah. Let us die with him that we may reign with him. I will give him the rulership of the nations. We're going to have crowns. We're going to have authorities. We're going to have dominions. He's going to rule on earth. And he's going to segment that rulership into the lives of his people according to their faithfulness of servitude and understanding that we've had in this world. That's how it works. Doesn't mean you don't have everything. God's going to give you great things. Doesn't mean you don't have salvation. Doesn't mean you won't have provision. But you want hierarchy in the heavenly kingdom? 
Learn to serve in this life. You have hierarchy and you have in the kingdom, learn your identity in this life. Sherry said it, it with this, what we do in this world wackles in eternity. Jesus said what's done in secret or what's, what is not seen upon the earth will echo or be proclaimed in eternity. Your divine royalty. Do you know that? You got to start seeing yourself. When you see your father upon the throne, you see yourself standing in robes of royalty. You stand there with him. You are with him. We are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. With him. You're a chosen generation. Do you know that? Right? You're not just the chosen generation. Say this with me. I am chosen in my generation. That's right. You're not just the chosen generation. We're going to reinforce some identity here today. You're not just the chosen generation. You are chosen in your generation. You are chosen in this time, in this place, for your heavenly Father's purposes. The people that are around you, that is you are chosen in that generation. The circumstances that are around you, you are chosen in that generation. The context that you find yourself in, you are heaven's royalty in that situation. Come on. Yes. Listen, I, I realize this stuff isn't taught. I, th this is what your Bible says, right? I realize we live, a, we live, we teach a doctrine of diminished life. When God is about lifting it, he's about empowerment. He's about releasing his people into destiny. And there are principles that are attached to these things. Sonship and daughtership. Why? Okay, here it is. The enemy wars against your identity. Do you know that? 24-7. He gives you, he's the one giving you the false IDs. He is. He's the one giving you the fake IDs. He's the one giving you the aliases. He brings people, places, and things into your life that tries to tell you who you are. When Jesus went into the wilderness, come on, somebody help me out. What did Jesus, what did the devil say to him? What's the first words out of his mouth? If you are the Son of God, what was he doing? Warring against his identity. Do you know who you are? Jesus. Now, if he says that to Jesus, do you not think he's going to say that to you? Do you not think he's going to challenge you on the, on the issue of whether or not you know who you are? Do you know your authority? Do you know your dominion? Do you know your inheritance? Do you know your rights? He comes and sits down on the living room of some of your couches and sits there because you don't know and understand that you have the right to show him the door. Amen. He comes right up on you because he wants to know, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? Oh, economy is going bad. Not me. I do not participate in the recession. I do that by conscious choice. I'm bound to heaven's economy. That's, who, that's the economy I'm bound to. I know who I am. Well, you got to watch out, Kevin. Your stock portfolio might go down. I don't have a stock portfolio, but, you know, I, I don't live according to that. I live according to this. My Bible says heaven's never been broke. I, I don't know where y'all are living. That's where I come from. I do not live according to the concourses of this world, according to the streams and the rivers of this world's identity. Nothing wrong with stock portfolios. Nothing wrong with investments. We should be wise. We should do that. Go to the financial seminar, learn all about all of that stuff. That's wonderful. You should do that. But our life and our sum and our identity and our totality of who we are does not come from that. You guys understand this? 
This, this changes everything. Your divine loyalty, you're chosen in your generation. You're a royal priesthood. Now watch this. What is a priest? Ministers, say it with me. A priest, priest. ministers under the Lord and under the people. You have a royal right to minister unto the Lord. You have a royal right to enter his presence. Not based upon what you've done, not based upon who you are, but based upon who you are. The Bible says, come boldly. Come boldly. You have a royal right to minister unto the Lord. You come before your Father. You make your requests known. You make your petitions known. You intercede. You worship Him. You ask God to do something in your world. That's ministry to Him. Do you know what ministers to God? You know what ministers to Him? Our presence. Your presence this morning is a ministry. He is so glad to see you in this setting. It ministers to Him. Anybody here with parents? If you have kids that live outside of the house and the kids come home, it ministers to mom and dad when the kids come home, right? When all the family's together, you know, it's, there's something good that happens. This ministers to the Lord. When we ask Jesus to get involved in our world, it ministers to him. My people do not come to me days without number. It is a ministry unto the Lord to ask him to get involved. On earth as it is in heaven, that ministers unto the Lord. You're not burdening him, and you have a royal right for that. You have a royal right to minister to people around you. I didn't say you know what you're doing, but that's okay. It's okay to not know what you're doing. It's perfectly okay because we learn as we go. You have a royal right to minister unto people around you. He's given it to you. You're a holy nation. You're a special people to proclaim the praises. You're called out of darkness into light. You once were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Again, identity. It's a reinforcement of identity. You once now did not have mercy, but now you have mercy. Next slide, please. So we're ambassadors of heaven. You're an ambassador of heaven. It's who you are. You represent heaven's world. Not me. You. You. You know what my job is? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. To teach God's people who they are, to equip them to do the things that God has called them to do. People think, well, that's the pastor's job. His job is to evangelize. His job is to... The pastor's job, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher, the five-fold ministry gift, the, the power of God released into the believer is to train the believer into who they are and to empower the believer into be doing what they're called to do. That's the point. So we're Christ's ambassadors. So how is all this possible? It's possible through the Spirit. Okay? So it tells us if we receive Jesus, we're sons and daughters, right? Isn't that what we read in John? Anybody with me? Huh? You guys still with me? You're taking an taking a emotional nap on me right now, are you? It's all right. I'm sleeping with my eyes open, man. That's <laughs> all right. The Bible tells us that we're sons and daughters, right? If those that receive Christ are sons and daughters. Do you know that's a very difficult thing to be? Do you know that's a very difficult thing to do? The, the, again, a liberating concept for you to get is to understand that Jesus has called you to do things that you cannot do. Be free. Everything he's told you to do, you can't do it. That's why he gave you the Holy Spirit. We see the necessity of the Holy Spirit. What God has called me to do, I cannot be without the Holy Spirit. It's the same principle here. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. What does that mean? You're called and created positionally a son and a daughter, but you cannot live that out without the Holy Spirit. You ever try? Try to do that one. Try to be a son. I'm a son of God. I'm going to go out there and live like a son of God today. First person that offends you, something fouls coming out of your mouth, right? Or some poor attitudes coming out of you. You're not going to do very well at it. 
Does that change the truth that you're a son or a daughter? That doesn't change the truth at all. The truth is, is that's who you are. But the way we express it is through the Holy Spirit. This is the beauty of the Holy Spirit, man. He, the greatest, Jesus, when Jesus says, it's beneficial to you that I leave, we should pay attention. Because he will come, the Spirit of God will come if I leave. The Holy Spirit is essentially necessary to the life of the believer. You have got to learn to saturate yourself in the Spirit. You've got to learn to soak in the Spirit. You've got to learn to enter the Spirit. And you've got to learn to live from the Spirit. In the Spirit, that's who you are eternally. You want to know what it's like to be a son and daughter of God? Get in the Spirit. Whew. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about? In the Spirit, you are experiencing your divine daughtership or your divine sonship. You are literally experiencing who you are. Loved of the Father, at perfect peace, at perfect will. You can actually walking in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the selfish desires of the flesh. So in the Spirit, I can actually live out what it means to be a son and a daughter of God. If I will walk in the Spirit. We treat walking in the Spirit as if it's this abstract mindset. I just got to have the mindset and get in the Spirit. It's not a mindset, it's an experience. We get in the Spirit experientially. You understand this? Right? The principles of Christ are not abstract, they're internal. He releases His Spirit, we walk in the Spirit, we manifest our sons and daughtership. That's how it's possible. We did not receive the spirit of adoption or bondage by fear, but we received a spirit of adoption. Here again, Holy Spirit is called to manifest our son and daughtership. We get this? You get this? You guys got it? Some, some people in here, you're very self-condemning, and you don't give, you're very hard on yourself. You need to just get in the spirit, man. Just, just live from the spirit. And it, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like me when I'm not in the spirit. Sometimes I like me when I'm not in the spirit, but for the most part... I'm like, man, I'm an idiot sometimes. I'm a jerk. That's, that's literally who I am. Say, well, you got an identity crisis. No, that's how I, that's how I, but when I'm in this, because I'm frustrated with myself. That's why Paul says, who will deliver me from this body of death? I keep dragging this person around with me that I don't want to be. Romans 7. Anybody here? There's a part of me that's with me, and I don't like this person. How can I get out of that? Romans 8. I thank God through Jesus Christ. We get out of that by getting into him, into the spirit. That's not just salvation. That's the spiritual encounter, the Holy Spirit. Okay? You're going to learn to love and adore and experience the Holy Spirit if you come to this church. You're going to learn all about the one the Father has sent. You're going to learn all about him. The expectation of creation earnestly waits for the sons and daughters of God. This, what this verse is telling us is the world itself is waiting for you to understand who you are. The world will, okay, say this. The world will not change until I understand who I am in Christ as a son or a daughter. You don't believe me? Let's read on. For the creation has been subjected to futility. Sin has caused the world to fall. Man didn't just fall. The system of the world itself has fallen. Therefore, everything in life is futile. Doesn't matter how much money you have. Doesn't matter how much fame you have. I mean, we got rich and famous people that are drug addicts and kill themselves all day long. So if you think rich and famous is what, really what it's all about, it's futile. It's emptiness. It's like Solomon said, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. Well, if I just get that relationship, I'll be full. No, you won't. If I just get that car, I'll be full. No, you won't. If I just get that job, I'll be full. No, you won't. 
No, you won't. It's only in Christ is their fullness. Only in the Spirit is their fullness. Can I get a witness? All right. So it's the creation is, sin has subjected the creation to futility. So the world's not going to, it's subjected to futility, not willingly. In other words, the world didn't want this. We were bound, the, the world, God created the world and Adam into the world. And so as Adam went, so did the world. So when Adam fell, so did creation itself. And the world's like, hey, what, what the heck, man? You know, so the system is broken and it doesn't want to be that way. That's what the Bible's saying. But it's waiting for sons and daughters to be revealed so that it too can experience the liberty. This is what it says. Because creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the liberty of the children of God. In other words, when the sons and daughters of God begin to understand who they are, understand destiny, calling, purpose, provision, all of these things, the world itself is going to change. Do you see how important you are? Do you see how important you are? Do you see how important the understanding of who you are in Christ as a son and daughter is? It's drastically important. Heaven is only dealing with a new man. The creation groans and labors with birth pains until now. The creation is going, please, somebody understand who they are. I'm a son of God. I should do something about poverty. I'm a son of God. I should do something about injustice. I'm a son of God. I should do something about healing and brokenness and hurt in the world. I should do something about the bondage. I'm a son and daughter of God. I carry the liberty of heaven with me. I carry the manifest presence of the Father in the presence of the Holy Spirit. I have the power to bring change. We collectively have the power to bring change. I'll pitch the school. We're doing a school. Yes, we are. You have an opportunity. That's right. We can clap that out. Two of you are excited about that. That's good. In the mouths of two or more witnesses, let it be established. We have the opportunity, if we understand that we're sons and daughters, if we understand that if we collectively come together and we put our resources together and we put our purposes together, we can actually affect change. We can deliver people from generations of bondage through a school by teaching them a mindset of a kingdom, by bringing them into a state of empowerment that they will receive nowhere else. Will not creation be delivered from bondage into liberty because we understand who we are and we actually come together and say, we're the believers of Christ. We can redeem a culture. We can redeem a generation. We can take people who've been taught a poverty mentality and we can train them and teach them something different. We can teach them to think, come on, you guys can clap. We should be a little more enthusiastic. I mean, this is good stuff, man. But do you just to see this in a practical manner? And we're not even getting into Holy Spirit power. We're getting into practical means. What we have the ability to do. Deliver nations, cities from bondages. Picture, if you will, Okay, I got this vision of kids coming through a program. We go from all the way up through high school and we train them in a program. And we train them not just in academics, but in systematic ways of thinking and believing. And so when we graduate this kid, this kid comes out of that school being through our process and program and they actually believe that they're a world changer. Why? Because somebody's told them that's who they are. And they're being reinforced with the identity of heaven and they're being stamped with the identity of heaven and the culture of heaven and not the culture of a kingdom. And so this kid goes, hey, I'm a world changer. I'm going to start a business in my community. I'm going to believe God that I will flourish and do business in my community. I'm going to give jobs to people. I'm going to redeem my neighborhood. I'm going to run for politics. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to start a bank. I have a vision of some kid starting a bank. I see some kid in the Bahamas starting a bank. 
He's going to go to the Bahamas. I'm gonna, and so I, I don't know. I just see this, somebody starting to, I don't know. I see people coming through the school. I feel like God has given a vision to this. And if we can catch this vision, we can understand. And it literally plays right into what God is calling us to do. Applying these principles into practical means and seeing the world change, not being content to see it as it is, but seeing it as how it can be. Not past, present, or present, past, but this is where we're at, but can we go there? This neighborhood's been in, these people have been impoverished for years, Kevin. You're never going to change that. Who told you that? That's not what my Bible says. My Bible says the creation itself will be delivered from any bondage into the liberty of the Son of God or the daughter of God if they understand who they are. Just a thought. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Are you with me? Yeah. Say, so this is the weirdest church I've ever been to. <laughs> Heaven's work in your life is not according to sin. It's according to identity. He's dealing with you according to your identity. You don't have a fear problem. You have a perfect love problem. You're afraid because you don't know that you're perfectly loved. So God's not dealing with you in terms of that. He's not dealing with you. You don't have a drug problem. You got a Holy Spirit problem. You don't understand that you have an access to something, a rock that's greater than crack. Amen. You don't understand that you have access to things in the spirit that are greater than that. You don't, that that's not, he's not dealing with us according to our sin. He's dealing with us according to our identity. I could go off, but I won't. Next slide. Last slide. Heaven works and according to your identity, Jesus has been judged for sin. In Christ, it's not about what's wrong. It's about what's right. Jesus is not looking at what's wrong with you. He's looking at what's right with you. And what he is wanting to do is fill these vacant spaces with identity. He's wanting you to give him areas of your life and let him show you who you are. But it's gonna, you got to be patient with yourself because it takes development. Anybody here have babies or have been around babies? When a baby's born, they don't have a lot of motor skills, do they? You're not going to toss the keys to a car to a newborn, right? I mean, they can't even hold their heads up. They're like, you know, drool coming out, stuff coming out of this end, stuff coming out of that end. Blah! You know, you look at it, oh, you're so cute. Stuff comes, you know. It was little Charmaine's daughter. And I was like, oh, she's so pretty. Look at her, look at, look at, look at her. And she's, blah! you know, like, oh. You've got to be patient with yourself. You've got to give yourself room to grow. You've got to give yourself room to grow into the identity of who you are. And you've got to realize you're going to make some messes along the way. You're going to realize you don't have the motor skills to do the very things that God is calling you to do. You don't even have the motor skills or the adjustment of walking in the spirit. But if you will consistently do it, you will get stronger at it. Last, last verse here. This is a really good one. Here's our destiny again. He foreknew you, therefore he put a destiny out in front of you. What is our destiny? To be made like Jesus, the firstborn among many brethren. So your destiny is to no longer be you, but to be conformed into the image of Christ by the Spirit. You want to know what Jesus is like? Get in the Holy Spirit. You're in the Holy Spirit, you're experiencing who Christ is. You're experiencing who you are, and you're experiencing who he is. That's why you're like, wow. When you're in the wow, you need to give yourself to the wow. Hey, I'm on a mission to make the church worshipers in spirit and truth. And here's what we do. We just, we, we, Holy Spirit's moving and we just kind of hold him right there. Oh, no, no further, no further. Man, let him move. We just, wow, Lord. 
Wow. You're going to cry, cry. Lord, you're going to bless him, bless him. Go deeper with him. Press in. So your, your destiny is to become like Christ. And in your destiny, moreover whom he predestined, you have a predetermined destiny. You have, in that destiny, you have a calling. Okay, I'm going to show you how this works. So God has called you to become a son and daughter in the image and the full conforming unto Christ. In that, there is a calling. There's a calling on every one of your lives. There's a calling on the church collectively, and there's a calling on you individually. Every one of you, you have a calling. It's the Greek word kaleo, heaven calls. Vocation, occupation. Occupation is what you do for money. Vocation is your passion. Your calling, your kaleo from heaven is the passion. It's what you burn to do. That's your calling. So not only do you have a destiny, your destiny, your calling comes from your sons and daughtership. So you do your calling in relationship to being a son and daughter. Well, who gives me permission to do that? I'm glad you asked. Whom, he call, whom we predestined, he called. Whom he called, he also justified. Who gives you the right to become a call? Because you know why? You know why there's a justification? Because the call on your life is greater than who you are. If the calling on your life does not freak you out, it is not from heaven. If the calling on your life is not so far beyond you, and you, you, when you look at it, you're like, wow! And then you're going, well, no way. You know what I'm talking about? The calling on your life is greater than you. And you say, well, how am I going to do that? Because he justifies you. He's the one who justifies you and tells the world, you are this. It's like, that's what I tell people. Like, what, what, like I stand here, who justifies my calling? Is it a denomination? Is it a Bible? I mean, is it, you know, a paper that, you know, that says with an ordination, my name on it on an ordination certificate? There's lots of those. But there's the justification of our calling is given to us by heaven. I don't need anybody's permission. I've been given it by God. That doesn't mean I know what I'm doing. We learn as we go. But we got to understand that we have a destiny, and our destiny is to understand in sons and daughtership and to live out our calling in accordance to that. And that we don't, so many people are waiting for permission. Well, I got to wait for the bishop to lay hands on me. I got to wait for the apostle. I got to wait for somebody in the church to recognize me. You're justified. Step out. In whom he justified, he also glorified. In other words, he's given you a destiny. You start understanding your calling and start walking out into the calling, whatever that may be, and God's going to put the weight of acceptance on you, and then he's going to bring the goodness, which is the glory. God will, make it, God will give you the permission, and God will make it work. You believe it? Yeah. So destiny and character the nature of Jesus. We have to see ourselves as a son and daughter. We have to live from the Spirit and be obedient. So if you want to take away, if, if out of all of the stuff that I said here this morning, we're going to take communion, we're going to dismiss. You have to recognize who you are in Christ and act accordingly. You have to begin to see yourself as a son and daughter and accept no fake IDs. Stop taking fake IDs. You should, some of you should go home today and your homework should be is to write out who do I see myself as? How do I see myself what labels have people attached to me that I identify with? Why? What has my father said in response to that? You know, somebody said, I had a guy and I was talking to him and I just was praying for him and he was telling me I, I, I just, he needs to do certain things and he can't, doesn't feel like he's smart enough. I said, has anybody ever told you you were stupid? And he said, yeah, all my life in school. I said, your father doesn't say that about you. So the Bible says you have the mind of Christ. So the Bible says, if you lack wisdom, ask God and he'll show it to you. He'll give it to you liberally. You know? So stop identifying with what 
you know, a handful of academic teachers called you stupid, and now you think you're that way for the rest of your life. Enter into the Spirit and access the mind of Christ. Enter into the Spirit and access the wisdom of God. You see this? It's inheritance. It's who we are. It doesn't matter what people say. It doesn't matter what anybody says. It matters only what he says. And drawing from your inheritance. Partnering with heaven. I'm not smart enough to do business. Oh, you're super smart to do business if you partner with heaven. God will give you creative ideas that nobody else can see if you'll partner with heaven. My wife has been talking to me about it, and it's something that the Lord has shown her is that like, there's all of these opportunities all around, but people are too dull to see the opportunity that's existing. And the reason that they can't see the opportunity is because it's in the Spirit. God will give you eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand what other people can't see or understand if you'll partner with the Spirit. You get, you get this? Son and daughter? You get this? Child of inheritance? So know who you are in Christ. Live accordingly in the Spirit. All right? All right, so we're going to take communion. We're going to close here. Did you guys get anything out of this? Yeah? Okay. So just to tell you how this works with me sometimes, so you wonder what it is that I'm doing, is like I'm feeling I'm up here and I'm teaching and I have a direction that I want to go in, but there are people in the room and what God's doing is he's ministering to different people in the room. And so sometimes I'll feel him pulling me in different directions towards different people in the room. And so sometimes, like for me, I feel like I'm just saying something random and I'm, and I'm not really, you know, anyway, it's just this, it's the, it's the pastoral thing that's going on here. So I just want to bless you with that. Um, so if you would do me a favor, Jody's going to pray. If you would make your way up around the outside and just take the wafer and take the, the juice back to, the street, back to your seat, we're going to take it together. All right? Just go ahead and make your way around.
So before Jesus went on to the cross, he took bread and he broke it, and he took wine and he broke it, and he did it out of a ceremony that we would call the Seder. And he took a, a wafer that was wrapped in linen, and it would be brought back traditionally at the end of the feast. It was called the Afikomen. And he broke the Afikomen and he handed it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And then he told them, unless you eat of my flesh, he told the people in another time, and eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part of me. And the idea is that this again relates to our identity, that Christ is in us and that we are in him. And the thing that always stands out to me when I, when I read, the, there's a verse on communion, a uh, passage on communion in Corinthians, and it, it says, as often as you do this, remember me. So Jesus told his disciples. And I always wondered, I'm like, what did you mean by that? You know, why, why is, you know, remember you? And I felt like the Holy Spirit told me that, I believe the Holy Spirit's speaking. <laughs> everybody here, let me do this at first. Like, well, God, Kevin's tricking me. So does everybody here believe, is there anybody here that, do, that believes that the Holy Spirit does speak? Raise your hand, yeah. please. There we go. Let's affirm. Let's testify. Spirit of God is speaking. He's never stopped speaking. He is going to speak to you and through you. And you're going to hear and see and understand. Most of you already hear, see, and understand the voice of God. You just don't recognize it to be Him. So you're going to hear the way the Holy Spirit speaks. He speaks through seeing. He speaks through hearing. And He speaks through feeling. Some of you are seers. Some of you are hearers. And some of you are feelers. Right? That's the way it is. And usually the, the three don't understand each other. I don't understand how He can see. All I hear, I don't understand these feelers. These feelers are the, you know, they're the feelers, you know. You're going to see, you're going to hear, or you're going to feel. That's how God's designed you, and that's how he's going to speak to you and through you. Go ahead, Hank. It's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is in the Old Testament, there was a visitation. Right. Now, we have a habitation. He's with us all the time. He's always there. So what we have to do is tune into the, right. the type of listening he does in our body. What's our personality with the Holy Spirit? How does he talk to us? I talk to my son differently than I talk to my wife. How does he talk to you? Holy Spirit talks to each one of us differently. Yeah. And what you will understand is that all of you can see, all of you can hear, and all of you can feel. You'll have access, you have access to all three, but you're going to be dominant in, more, in one. You're going to be more dominant in, another, in, in one more than another. I see. I see. Boom, boom, boom. I see. But I'm like, well, I don't want just want to see. I want to hear. So then I back up off the seeing and I begin to hear the Lord. What are you saying, Lord? And then I don't want to just want to hear. I begin to go, what, what, is it, what is the expression? I try to discern from the feeling level. That's discernment. So I hear what he's saying. I see what he's saying. And then I try to discern through feelings because I want all of them. I don't know about you. The Bible says covet the best gifts. It's the only place where you have permission to want everything. You have permission to want it all, and it's in the area of the gifts. You can want it all, right? God says, yeah, covet the best gifts. And so I want all of it. I want to see, I want to hear, and I want to feel because I don't know what circumstance I'm going to find myself in. And what you have to do and what we have to understand is you're ministers, and we're going to, I'll talk to you a little bit about practical application with um, some of this, uh, some of this in, in just a second. But you're going to see, you're going to hear, and you're going to feel. And what it relates to, more often than not, say this with me, first word, first impression. One of the problems with people is we overthink this stuff too much. 
and we'll get a first word, we'll get a first impression, or we'll hear a word, or we'll see something, and because it doesn't make any rational sense to us, we start calculating it and thinking it. Like, we've had some crazy words here before. Guy looks at a woman and goes, do tangerines mean anything to you? That seems odd. Well, Matt, you know, and, he, and she's like, yeah, I like tangerines. And she was kind of pulling them out to see. He's like, and, I was, and I was trying to work with him. I was like, what do you see? He's like, I see a tangerine. Somebody's squeezing this tangerine, and all this juice is coming out of this tangerine. And I just feel like God is just taking all this really beautiful stuff out of you. That's what he said to her. She looks at him, and she says, my middle name means tangerine. Well, how did he know that? But that's an odd thing to say to someone is tangerine. We've had gummy bears. We've had toaster. We've had bread. We've had the craziest things. I had a woman just walk in, some girl gives a word, gummy bears? I'm like, give a word, just whatever. And she goes, I just keep feeling, seeing whatever she was doing, gummy bears. I said, does that mean anything to anybody? Lady raised her hand, she's like, gummy bears are my favorite fruit. She's like, I was just across the street buying gummy bears before she walked in. Oh, you guys can do a little better than that, that's good. <laughs> but I want you to see that, the cra that, that what is crazy to you does not mean it's not a word. You understand? And what it is, is it's when it comes to a prophetic word, it's first word, first impression. 99.9% .9 of the time, it's first word, first impression. And you've got to learn to trust first word, first impression. As, mean, as crazy as it is. If you ever see me, I'll get first words, first impression, and I'm kind of like, Whoa. all right, I don't have any idea what this means, but, you know, because I don't. You know, and I'm actually, when I say that, it's because I'm trying to convince myself to actually say the thing that I'm seeing because I, you know, I'm like, that, you know, hair curlers? <laughs> like you saw Washington Redskins over this uh, running coach in the park. That's right. And it opened up a door yeah. of... We were, at a, we were at a baseball park, right, exactly. <laughs> we were at a baseball park, and this guy, and, and uh, guys really, and okay, so I'll just show you, this is a practical application. So I'm feeling... And I'm just sensing something. So well, I'll come back to, come, make me come back to highlighting. So I'm sensing something about this guy. So I'm looking at him and I'm talking to him and I could really sense a, like, like almost a discouragement or a brokenness there, which again, we, we reinterpret our impressions. We don't go, I just see you as a really broken person. No, when, we, when, when you're receiving something that's negative, we are to renew it and restore it. So what would the, you're feeling God is giving you an impression because he's trusting you with an understanding of where the person is at. That doesn't mean you go, man, I just see a spirit of depression all over you. That's not what you say. You back up and you go, okay, so, okay, so this person is, you know, I could feel like this guy was broken. And I'm like, what, what is the word for this guy? Is there a word for this guy? And if I get a word, then I start sharing it with him. And then I started saying to him, I go, uh, I go, do Washington Redskins mean anything to you? And... He said he played he, for the Redskins. He, the... he was a former NFL player and he played for the Washington Redskins. Yeah. yeah. And I kept seeing Washington Redskins. I go, Do Washington Redskins mean anything to you? And then I just started ministering off of that. You know, and well, that opened him up to. That, that's exactly that, the point. It opened him to, up. To believe what the next thing that he was going to tell. That's right. Him, that the and the next thing that came out of my mouth, he's, he was going to pay, he was going to pay pretty close attention because right. he's like, How did you know Washington Redskins? And I'm like, Look, it's the Lord. And the idea with a prophetic word, when you're sharing a prophetic word or a word of encouragement, you ready for this? Say it with me. The Lord sees, the Lord sees and the Lord, cares. the Lord cares. Everything moves from love. Everything. 
Whether it's the release and activation of healing or it's the release and the activation of the prophetic word. It comes from the word charis, which is the root of spiritual power, which is the root of the word, one of the roots of the word love. So all of the gifts flow from love. And so when the father is speaking, he sees this person and he cares. We had another person. I'll give you another one. We're uh, like, there's a girl here. We, so we're going to encourage you. We're going to activate and prophetic for the next couple of weeks. And then we want you to invite anybody that wants to come. And we're going to start practicing on them too. So it's going to be crazy. It'll be really nice, you know. We keep practicing on each other. But if we run out of each other's, we'll invite everybody to come. So we had that. We had a small group. First time we did fire starters. And I invited people to bring their friends. And so this girl brings her friend. I don't, I've never seen this girl before, nothing about her, anything like that. And so, you know, of course, everybody's timid and nobody knows what they're doing. Jeremiah, I think you were there. And uh, you might have been. <laughs> but it was um, everybody's timid. Nobody wants to do anything. So I'm like, okay, nobody's got a word. I'm like, all right. And so I just asked, started asking the Lord for a word. And I'm looking at her. And I could see like she was standing on a glass floor. Because so what the Lord's going to show you, he's going to show you an image. He's going to show you a picture. You're going to hear a word. You're going to hear a phrase. You might hear a song. You may hear a, a verse. You may feel an impression, right? And so the, the trick is in interpreting that in restoring and in, in speaking, bringing the word in a restorative way. And, and Hank's going to share a little bit on that. So I'm giving you a heads up. Uh, but I saw this gal and she, I saw her standing on a glass floor. And beneath her, I just saw wreckage, right? That was what I saw. And so I'm just trying to process all that. And I'm like, wow, you know, and I didn't say that to her, but I'm just trying to process what it was that I was seeing. And so I just looked at her and I just said, you know, I feel like you've been through a really difficult time and there's been a lot of wreckage in your life, but I feel like the Lord has raised you above it. So I see in the image, I see you rising above it. And I feel like God's going to give you clear perspective on everything that's happened to you. And I just really believe that God's bringing you into a season of, of restoration. So I took that and declared a destruction, and I declared a season of restoration over her. You see how that works? We, we declare. The Bible says that God does not allow the words of his prophets to fall to the ground. And so I'm speaking in line with his word. God's all about restoration. This girl's been through an, a horrible experience, which it gets only better. So we see this. There's this wreckage. And rather than going, wow, I just see that your life's a train wreck, man. looks like... I mean, I'm seeing a bomb that's gone off in you. Does that mean anything to you? And she's probably already freaking out. I'm like, you know, you've been through a season of wreckage and damage, but I really feel like the Lord is raising it up. Now, you may see, I might have seen her amongst the wreckage. And so I could see her amongst the wreckage and I could ask, what do you want to do? And then maybe I would see her rise up. Okay, well, what does that mean? She's among wreckage, but God is going to raise her among the, above the wreckage. And so I would say to her, but I already saw her standing on a glass floor. Well, the glass to me was perspective and God had given her a rising above the, above the wreckage. And I said, you've been through a season of difficulty, a season of where there's been a great loss, but I see the Lord rising you above it, and he's giving you clear understanding of everything that's happened. I said, does that mean anything to you? And she just kind of said, yes. And then another girl that was in the room, she looks at her and she goes, so now we got the river going. Now somebody's given a word. Now everybody else is starting to get, because that's what happens. Once the word's released, it starts activating. The, the spirit starts moving and activating. It's, called, it's like a river. One woman looks at her and goes, I just see a big tree. I see a willow tree and a willow tree is just moving and its branches are just swaying and it's by a river and by water. And I just really feel like there's a river tree. Well, it doesn't mean like I, I know prophetic symbolisms. And so I know a willow tree means mourning. And I looked at her and I go, uh, I go, well, willow tree is symbolic of mourning. I go, have you lost anyone lately? And her friend that came with her about leaped back about five feet. And she goes, I just lost my brother in a rock. And she started weeping. Well, what does that mean? It means the Lord sees and the Lord knows. You understand? He sees your loss. 
He sees your pain. So what's the ministry to her? The ministry is a ministry of reconciliation. And I just really believe that that tree that's planted by water, God's going to give new life. And we just start redirecting what we saw. But see, the willow tree was an indicator of where she was coming from. And so I know what willow means. And I said, have you lost anyone lately? And I'm thinking maybe grandma or a cat or something like that. You know, maybe she's feeling sorrow or something. She just lost her brother and a rock. Do you, do you understand this? Okay, maybe I'm getting a little too complicated and I'm pushing this out a little too far for you. Okay, but so I'm, I'm trying to show you how we reinterpret it. What happens in two New Testament churches, and this is why the prophetic gift is so abused and so misunderstood, is we don't understand the shift in restoration. We don't understand that the age of John is gone and that the time of Christ is now. Jesus didn't redirect storms. Jesus didn't condemn cities. They wanted to call fire down. He's like, no, that's not the ministry. The prophetic ministry of Elijah called fire down. Jesus said, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. That is not the operation of the prophetic ministry. And so what happens is, is the prophetic gift in the church is often abused because we think we got to be Elijah and we think we got to call fire down and we think we got to prophesy and declare all of this woe, doom and gloom. And so the ministry gets really distorted and it gets misunderstood and it actually incorporates more damage than it does good. When the operation of the prophetic is done in line with New Testament standards and is done in line with the will of the Holy Spirit, it is insanely powerful. It is one of the most, it is the doorway into so many other things. It literally opens you up and opens other people up to hear what you have to say. I believe that the era that we are coming into, that New Testament and this age of evangelism is not going to be through information. We've been through about 30 years where we bring people into the kingdom through information. Well, we are in the information age. People don't need more information. What's going to get their attention is encounter. And so if the Christian cannot learn to lead people into encounter, we are going to have a very hard time evangelizing this generation. And so I believe that the ministry that the Holy Spirit is doing is to teach God's people how to bring people into encounter. So, for instance, you may be walking by, and this is, again, I'll come back to highlighting, then I'm going to turn, give Hank a little room here. It's like you may be walking by, and the Lord may give you an impression, and you may feel an impression, or you may feel a highlight, like the Lord may highlight someone. That person just may be standing out to you. Well, your response is, what are you saying, Lord? What are you saying here? And let the Lord speak, begin to speak to you out of that. You understand that? So like you may be walking by, maybe it's at your workplace, you know, and you might be coming by and you might feel something for like a coworker or something. You might feel something. And then you're like, okay, what is it, Lord? And you might sense discouragement. You just may sense that. You might just go, oh, you're just, you know, you don't, you don't minister out of that. What you do is you come in the opposite spirit. And you might say, okay, that person, you, you may feel for that person and you may feel like, what is that feeling? And the Lord may say to you, it's discouragement. Or you may get the word of discouragement. And so your ministry, your ministry to that person is encouragement. And so you may go up to her and go, I just want to let you know that we appreciate you. And I just want to let you know, and I mean this, Annie. I just want to let you know that we love you and that we appreciate you. And that we, I just want to encourage you today. You didn't, even get, you didn't even have to go. Or maybe you go, you know what? I just feel in my heart that the Lord wants me to tell you that he loves you. And that the Lord wants me to tell you that he cares. Either way, you're ministering. You understand that? And you're opening this person up. They don't care what you know until they know what, that you care. You're opening this person up to a greater understanding. That person may come up to you at lunch and go, you know, that really meant a lot to me, what you said. I've been really going through a hard time. And pff, the Golden Gate Bridge has just opened up to you. you. Now you can virtually say anything you want to say to that person because you've just moved into their heart. You've just hit and you just targeted it. The prophetic is insanely powerful. And that's why it's important that we understand the way that we minister and how we go about it. And that you be aware and active in these ways. 
I shared with you guys the story when I went and Sherry sent me back in for tomato soup, right, into Walmart. And I didn't want to go back into Walmart for tomato soup. And I go all the way back to the back of the store. As I'm walking down the tomato soup aisle, there's a mom with a kid. And I was just walking right by him. But I felt like, boom. You know, I could sense the spirit. Like, I felt like a jolt in my spirit. And this is the stuff you got to be sensitive to. So I felt something. And I was like, okay. And so as I'm getting the soup, I'm just trying to find the big can, of course. I'm not getting the little can. I'm like, where's the big can? As I'm looking for the big can of the whatever it is I'm looking for, I'm discerning. And I'm like, do you want to say something? Do you want to say something? And I could sense the spirit, like, okay. And so I just stopped and I just looked. And immediately I started getting a word for the kid. And I'm like, okay. And it was, I felt like it was her son. And I just started, I heard football. I said, you play, and I didn't go, I foresee that you're a football player. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't do that. I asked questions. I said, I go, do you play sports? He's like, yeah, I love sports. I said, what's your favorite sport? And as soon as he said football, boom, we got a bridge. And then I started giving him a word off of football. And then I started telling him where I was getting this information from. And her mom's like lifting her hands and she's like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, you know? I go, look, I'm a Christian. I looked at her, I go, okay, I feel like I have a word for your son. I said, I'm a Christian, so I just wanna let you know, I feel like the Lord has a word for your son. And she's like, we receive it, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> like right in the middle, it was crazy. Yeah, so it's just things like that that we learn to understand but you want to understand we serve a prophet who is a priest and who is a king. And so we, as who are like him, we walk in prophetic. All of us have a prophetic ministry. All of us have a priestly ministry. And all of us have dominion ministry. But you cannot walk into dominion until you learn to walk into prophetic. Prophetic is literally the door. Prophet, priest, and king. So, all right. You have anything to add to any of that jumble I just said there? Well... One of the things that you have to realize when you activate the Holy Spirit, you guys being here is already telling the Holy Spirit, I want to be activated. Yep. And so what you do is you're going to think that this is you doing this, right? He's going to walk, he's like walking along and someone says, uh, something says that guy's a football player and you, th and you what you, what your first impression is going to be it's going to be yeah i can tell that because maybe he's muscled up or because of this or that or he looks like a football or whatever you start rationalizing all this stuff and so that's the that's the first step is to get out of your head you know stop doing all the rational rationalization me and millie went to uh, albany georgia one time and we said uh let's go down and look at ray charles uh park because John was little, and he needed to run around a little bit. And so we went down to Ray Charles, and we walked around Ray Charles. He's, they have a you know, little memorial there for him with, all the pian with a piano walkway and stuff. And I look over, and there was a bum sitting over there. And, and I heard in my, I, this thought just crossed my mind. That guy's a prophet, and, a, and the Lord really loves him. And so I just walk over to him. I said, what you doing? And man, you, the, the liquor could have knocked you down. <laughs> and I said, maybe I've got this wrong. My rationalization started <laughs> going on. But I said, you know, I just heard over there the Lord loves you and, he, and, and that you are a prophet to this area. What are you doing on this swing? He goes, I just, I just left last night. Uh, from church and I was prophesied over that I was a prophet 
but I chose to come out here and drink instead of going to church this morning, you know, going over to the church. He says, but you're the second person in 24 hours that's told me that. So I think I better go back to church. I go, I <laughs> The Lord sees, sees and the you. Lord cares. He really it's always, that's the essence. But the he first sees thing and he, he told cares. me was he loves you. That's right. See? He loves you. He sees you. Him. He sees you. In the midst of all of this, he sees you. And he sent How me powerful is that? from Florida to go tell That's that right. one guy in Albany, Georgia, you know? And then the other thing is, you'll get set up and you won't realize it, so always be on the ready. This friend of mine who plays the violin really, really well comes into the line. I see him going for grape juice and crackers, and I say, this guy's late for a church because I can see him. He's getting communion for something. And so I said, why don't you get in front of me because I know you're in a hurry. And so he checked out, and the lady said, uh, oh, I'm not. I go, this, this guy is an excellent violinist. And, and, she, and you know what she said? She goes, my sister plays the violin really well. Me, I'm not talented at all. And the Holy Spirit just told me, that's a lie. So I said, you know, that's a lie. You really are talented. You may not play the violin, but God's got things inside of you that no one else has. See that? He, sensed, he sensed the lie and just redirected the lie. Yeah, he just tw went, twisted it around that's to right. the right place. Proclaimed the kingdom so over that lie. whenever you see something in somebody, you don't speak the negative. You say, well, what does God say about that? That's right. You know, why did that happen? Why, why is the uh, behavior that that person's had? going on right now why is that happening lord and the lord will tell you you know and we were you, at um we were at applebee's so here's how here's ways that you guys once we get you guys activated and going in all this and we will you're gonna be like little like get, get your tricycles rolling then you're gonna be on 10 speeds before long man we're gonna get you guys like rolling in this but what you do is like you can actually provoke one another the bible says provoke one another under good works so we all go to Applebee's for hamburgers, and we're all just hanging out. And Heidel was there, and Hank was there, and we're just eating food or whatever. And a waitress keeps coming over to the table. And what she kept calling us, boys or Honey. something like that? Honey or something like that. And Hank goes, um, Pastor Kevin, he's like, you got a word for the waitress? Just completely <laughs> throws me out there. So I learned, I learned that now I have permission to throw Hank out there. I go, Hank, you got a word for her? You got a word? Go ahead. You got, Hank's got a word for you. And Hank, okay. Yeah, so you got to be sure you're in the mood when you're around Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I center, I come, for, I come to rest, and I asked the Lord. I said, what is it? Do you have a word for her? And I just started, and I, all I heard was mother. And I said, you know, um, do you have any kids? She said, no. And I said, I just see the word mother over you. And I said, and I believe that at some point in your life, you're going to be an amazing mother. And I heard a name. Was it, like, it was like I heard a name. I said, like Ashley or something. And I said, and I feel like you're going to have a daughter. And I said, and I don't know if this word means anything to you. And I named a name. So I said, I feel like, you know, I have feeling mother. What is it? Well, you're going to be a mother. You have kids? No. You're going to be a mother someday, and you're going to be a really good mother. And I see a girl, and I see a daughter. You're going to have a daughter. There's going to be a girl. And I said, and I hear the word Ashley. She goes like this. And she said, my best friend just had a daughter named Ashley, and she made me the godmother. <laughs> Do you think we had a conversation after that? That girl kept coming right back to the table, didn't she? She kept coming right back going, you know, and we just had this whole conversation about Jesus and about everything. And her parents were believers. And we started prophesying spiritual heritage over her and everything else that was like that. 
right? But it began with mother. And so one of the things that happens with prophetic is you may get a word and you're not getting any more until you move on that word. Well, you, it's yeah. not, it's, it's okay to say, does that mean Does that anything? mean anything to you? You don't have to say, thus saith the Lord. Yeah, you don't have to strike the pose, you know, and stand up and put on Heidel's robe and go like this. You don't have to do that, you know, picking on your Heidel. But you just, you, you, you don't have to do that. You just ask him. You say, hey, does, you know, does, does this mean anything to you? And she may go, no, it doesn't mean anything. You know, they go, oh, okay. You know, why? What? And then if she asks more questions or if they ask more questions, you kind of go from that. But one of the things that happens when you see, hear, and feel is that we want the full picture before we step out. You may not get the full picture. You may not get the full picture. You and may not get, you may get mother. It's all based upon faith. And how you spell faith is four-letter word, R-I-S-K. Yeah. You got to risk. And so I just said, you are you mother? Do you have kids? And she said, no. And so, okay, she doesn't have kids. I'm hearing, I'm clearly hearing the world to the Lord say mother. So let me just declare out her motherhood, you know. And so yeah, that's what I started doing. Just keep asking questions. And the puzzle will come together. Yeah. Ask questions. All right. Okay. So, with that in mind. With, with the mindset that you're going to find gold in that person, right? Something that's, that's right. Some, something awesome because the Bible says to prophesy is to edify, which means to build up each that's other right. in the most holy faith. That's right. So you edify, you build that person up. This is the foundation of prophetic, New Testament right. prophetic word, 1 Corinthians 14. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks for edification. Do you see, there's, oh, you I got it in there. <laughs> That's right, we're mind melding right there, right there. See, we're, we're prophetically flowing right there. So here again, you're gonna see the foundation of the New Testament prophetic word. You're speaking a word that edifies, that builds up. You're gonna be a great mother. I see mother, you don't have any kids? Oh, you know what, I just see you being a great mother. I bet you're gonna be a great mother. Why do you say that? I just hear the Lord saying mother over you. You know, there, there's, ways, you, you, there's ways of creating dialogue, you know? And I mean, it's, it's amazing uh, if you, you, we have to, Learn it, but so it's to speak edification, which means promote spiritual growth. Words of encouragement. So we just speak, you know, when like when Hank with the girl, oh, I just don't do anything well. He immediately began to declare encouragement over that woman. He immediately began to say, you know, I whatever it was he said, but he began to declare over her. So the root of the prophetic word is out of love, and it is for the purpose of edification. It is for the purpose of encouragement. It is the purpose of building people up or consolation to compassionately help them like the girl who had lost everything. I just really believe God's bringing you into a season of restoration. You know, and I believe that God is gonna give you clarity onto everything that happened, and he's gonna cause you to rise above what's happened. You know, and it wasn't that, you know, so you're, you're able to console, you're able to call out, you're able to call forth. You understand that? And one of the biggest ways that I found, for me personally, is the effectiveness of showing people that God sees them. It's an, it's a, I, we did this, uh, this was with Jeremiah, and I was trying to get Jeremiah hooked on the Holy Spirit, which he's already in. He's like, he's like, he's immersed now. He's off. And so I was talking to him about activation of the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit of God activates. And I said, if you'll just sit here, we were in a restaurant, and I was saying, like, right now, if we ask the Holy Spirit what he wants to do, and you center yourself, you will be overwhelmed with what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to do far more than what you're actually even capable of doing. Like immediately, I said, okay, let's just ask the Holy Spirit. As soon as I started asking the Holy Spirit, I started seeing all these different directions. The Spirit of God wants to, do, wants to work. He shows up to work, but he needs a partner. And so if you want to activate, you just activate. You just ask the Lord, what do you want to do? And then I had to leave because I had to, my, my son was, it was a few years back. My son was at park, so I had to pick him up. 
And then um, I kept, I felt like I had a word for this waitress. And it was gnawing on me, you know, because I didn't share the word with the waitress. And I knew I was going to get home and I would be like, just kicking myself for like three days that God gave me a word and I didn't share it. And so I went back and I just started sharing this word. I can't even remember the word, but I went back and it was the waitress at the counter and I just started sharing some stuff because I was on the way out the door. I said, see, I got a word for this guy right here. And he's like, you do? And I go, yeah, but I can't share because I got to go. So I left, right? You know, convenient, right? So I, I ended up going back to the word there and I, I shared this word with her. And she looks at me and she goes, how do you know all this? She's like, are you a psychic? And I said, no, I'm not a psychic. I go, I'm a Christian. And I said, I just want you to know the Lord sees you and he cares about you. And she just looked at me, you know. Well, where did that go? Well, I don't know where it went, but what I, what we released that out, and we let God do the rest. And now this, this woman's probably going to be thinking in her mind and in her heart, wow, God sees me, he knows me, and he cares, you know. And she almost started crying right there. She just was completely blown away. And, I mean, I don't even know what I was sharing. It was something that seemed offbeat and off-color to me, but it seemed right on the money for her. So, anything else? We're going to activate. Let's you guys ready to activate? Yeah, let's just... Yeah, any questions before we do it? No questions. No questions. Yeah, you guys are all ready? All ready? Where's Sherry? Did she leave? Sherry, you want to do a team? Okay, so we're going to do three teams? We're going to break up into three groups. We've got Jeremiah, too, over there, too. Okay, so us. Jeremiah, can, we need Jeremiah to accompany. Uh, uh, if you're on the prophetic team, yeah, prophetic. join one of the other teams in, a, in an association. What I want you to do is go around the people who least likely know you. In other words, if you're a husband, go where your wife is not. If you're a wife, go where your husband is. Go around people that you really don't know. So we're just going to form three groups. We're all going to be doing the same thing. We're going to be coaching you into activation. Everybody say this with me. I will cross the chicken line. That's right. All right. So... If you're on a prophetic team, could you stand up? If you guys have been on a prophetic team or prophetic train. So if you stand up. And then what we'll do is um, they're going to join us as we break off into groups. So we're going to do three pods. So I need, we're, I need a third of you to go over there. So we got, I don't know, how do you want to, you want to help me divide the group up here? I don't know how to. Okay, so everybody over here, you're going to go on that group. But we need to mix them up a little bit, though, because we've got to mix it, we've got to jumble them up. <laughs> or if you're sisters. <laughs> okay, everybody with the last name A, stand up. B. B. C. 